0: I hope you have a uh, sermon outline there. And uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, and uh, if you think of it, you can pray for me. I've been a little bit under the weather all week, as well as uh, everyone else at my house. And so I have some ginger ale I'm sipping. And uh, uh, I thought about calling my sermon group buddies and having someone fill in, but I felt a strong um, prompting from the Lord that this message uh, needed to be spoken and that I I should give it, so uh, I won't quite be my peppy self, but uh, I trust that the Holy Spirit will work uh, anyways, and I know that He will. Please stand and look in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Don Miller, um, the Lord just brought you to mind. Would you come up and say a prayer for me, please, right now? Just pray for you strength, Father. This. Uh... Scripture uh, talks about Satan and his working in the lives of Christ and in all of us. And uh, you know Drew's tired. He's been fighting this for a couple weeks now. And I just pray your anointing strength on him, that what you've uh, placed in his mind and his heart to share today, that it'll come forth uh, easily. Uh, Strengthen his body as he shares with us that, Father, you are in control. You are the great redeemer and Satan has lost He lost the Calvary, and we can rejoice in that and and praise you for it. Be withdrew in a mighty way now, Father, and we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Thank you. Uh, I think you realize this, uh, and if you don't, I will say it. Uh, We face an enemy in this life, and it is Satan. And when I entitle this uh, message, The Tempter and Temptation, uh, I think it's clear uh, what Scripture is talking about, but I often think it's not clear uh, in our minds or in our daily lives. Chuck Colson used to use a phrase in some of his writings, that uh, in ancient civilizations, they would have walls around cities. And when cities were being attacked by uh, barbarians, he would say, the barbarians are at the gates. And I believe that is true of America. The barbarians are at the gates. And the civilization that uh, we have enjoyed, and the Judeo-Christian heritage that we have, have enjoyed in America for some uh, 200 years, is really threatened and being torn apart on many levels. One of, our ancient, uh, one of our founding fathers said this, America will never be defeated by outward invasion, but will fall apart because of inward moral decay. And that is actually exactly what we are seeing. Now, I want to balance two things together here, because if you leave with just one side of this, it could be very depressing and discouraging, and, and we don't want that. But we have to recognize that the enemy wants to destroy our lives, that sin is real, that temptation is real, and that the delusion and the deception of all of that is very real, and we will talk about that in just a minute. So when we recognize our enemy, we can deal with it with wisdom, discernment, biblical truth, and the power of the Spirit, but we can also walk in hope and confidence in these troubled uh, times that we live in. If you watch the news at all, you know what's going on. Uh, I am very disturbed about the ongoing march of uh, abortion, which is under the guise of you know, a uh, reproductive freedom, and it's uh, the bottom line is it's murder. And uh, it says in Proverbs that God hates the shedding of innocent blood. And this has been going on since Roe v.ersus Wade passed back in the 60s. I'm also terribly disturbed by what's happening under the guise of sex education in our schools, the LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender movement, which has just taken on militant proportions with our children. I heard a report this week of uh, on Janet Parshall of a, a gentleman that said that there's lawsuits beginning to uh, arise in the courts and they will get worse as uh, kids have been, vulnerable kids have been said, well, you know, uh, you, you were told as, a, as a, a child that you were a boy, but maybe you're a girl. And people have gone through sex changes and. Girls have had breasts removed and uh, uh, had puberty blockers and chemical things have been done to them. And, and to me, it's like just the most horrific uh, page out of some bizarre science fiction novel. But this is considered normal uh, in our sex education classes and our public schools and, and textbooks and whatnot. So this is the world that we live in. And it is nothing less than evil and demonic and from the pit of Satan himself. So what are we to do if the barbarians are at the gates? Okay? Satan has an agenda. If you are a Christian, you have a bullseye in your chest, and I don't want to be overdramatic, but he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life. And as I've said before about this subject, the only rattlesnake you have to worry about is the one that you don't know is there. I was cutting firewood in Salmon River several years ago with a friend and we were driving on this road and I saw a big rattlesnake going across the road. But it was about 20 feet away and I could see it clearly and we got out a shotgun and we killed it. No big deal. If you come around a corner and a rattlesnake is just inches from your foot, then you have a problem because you don't know that it's there and it catches you off guard. And my fear for many young people today is, under the guise of free love and free everything and everything's fine and have a good time, that lives are being destroyed for lack of biblical truth. And you've heard that advertisement, no doubt, on television. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know that's another lie from the pit of hell? You go to Vegas and have a good time, you'll regret it the rest of your life. Because you live with your conscience about the choices you make. And you don't have peace about sin. You have peace about following God's commands and bathing your life in His Word and His Spirit. If you would look at your uh, uh, text there and also your outline here, okay, uh, right before this, Jesus is baptized. Okay, and we have this powerful uh, description of or display of the Trinity, in that the Father speaks a word of affirmation about His Son, Jesus of course, the Word made flesh, eternal deity in flesh, walking on the earth is there, and then the Spirit descends upon Him in bodily form as a dove. Okay, so we have all three persons of the Trinity there, and then in this section in chapter four, I like it that it says in verse one, he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's led by the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus set aside the glory of heaven and was walking merely in the power of the Spirit, just as you as I have to do each day, Jesus is full of the presence of God and he's led by the presence of God. And he goes out into the desert. It says in verse two, for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. So no doubt, Jesus, in a weakened physical condition because of lack of food, is more susceptible to temptation, potentially, as Satan attacks him. May I remind you, if you're run down physically, if you're not eating properly, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not spending time in rest, physically, as well as in God's Word, you're gonna be more susceptible to temptation. You're gonna make rationalizations and compromises in your mind that you would not normally make. And I will add to that, if you're not in biblical community on a regular basis, if you're a lone ranger Christian and don't have the input of other believers into your lives, you will also be more susceptible to temptation, okay? So look at your outline there. Jesus faced temptation with the word and the Holy Spirit. Now we've already mentioned that he was full of the Holy Spirit and he was led by the Holy Spirit. But we need to look at this next section and realize what happened. Okay. And underline these phrases if you would. In verse four, it says, it is written. And you could underline that and we'll come back to it in a moment. And in verse eight, it says, it is written. And then in verse 10, it says, for it is written. In the temptations that Satan throws out to uh, Jesus, in every case he said, it is written. Okay? A powerful, crucial way to respond to temptations from the enemy. When a thought comes to mind that's not from the Lord okay, or seems enticing, or seems okay, or, oh, everybody's doing it, or whatever else. We need to go quickly to Scripture, okay? I was working at a restaurant many years ago uh, in New York when I was going to seminary, and on Friday nights, many of the students there would work at the Tappan Zee Inn. And uh, um Banquet, it was like a banquet type setting, and and like 300 people would come in from the Rotary Club or the Lions Club or a local political affiliation or something like that. (coughs) (coughs) So each of us would get three round tables, and there was about six to eight people at each table. (coughs) I learned at that time what a Roman Coke was, and a martini was and all those kind of things, because I didn't know what that was. But we had to go up and get people's drinks, and they would order and bring them back and serve their food and whatnot. And we got paid well, and it helped with the school bills. One night, I got one of my tables, and there was a lady there that was inappropriately dressed. And it was very uncomfortable, uh, and, uh, but I had to serve this table and get drinks and bring them food and whatever. And as the night went on, she drank more and more and got more inappropriate and rude uh, with her behavior. And I was waiting for the night to be done because it was just really awkward. Finally, the evening got over and, and I headed back to my room. And I was thinking about this lady and this behavior and thinking, wow, this poor gal forgot what she learned in Sunday school. Or maybe she never went to Sunday school at all. And I went to the book of Proverbs, and uh, by the grace of God, I went there. And, and I found these verses, and, and if you'd like to turn there, you may. Uh, and they actually helped me at that moment. Proverbs chapter 5, and it says this. And it has a description of an immoral woman <clears throat> and their behavior. And it says this. My son, pay attention to my wisdom, turn your ears uh, to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, it is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say how I hated discipline, how I hated how my heart spurned correction. And I also went to Proverbs 7 and found similar themes. And I thought, wow, Lord, what I saw tonight is right here in the pages of Scripture. And it was a good reminder of scriptural truth and applying it to daily lives and difficult situations with people that have scandalous intentions, who have values that are different than what Scripture says. And I was so glad to go to the scripture uh, that night. It says there, it is written in verse 4. It says in verse 8, it is written and in verse 10. It says uh, the same thing. If you would look on your outline there, Jesus refused Satan's enticements and responded with God's word. Look at what Satan said here in verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, Tell this stone to become bread. Now, as you know, the identity of Jesus is the central only fundamental truth of all of history that we need to have nailed down correctly. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Okay. Now, Satan says this, if you are the Son of God. Kenneth Wiest, in his Greek commentary, uh, examines this a little bit closer, and he has translated it in this way. In view of the fact that you are the Son of God, do you think Satan didn't know who Jesus was? I absolutely think he did. In Isaiah chapter 14, we have Satan five times saying, I will, as an angelic Uh, part of the angelic host of heaven before creation began. And he looks at God, okay, and no doubt Jesus was there and says, I want to be like God. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Five times the height of hubris, arrogance, pride, and really chaos and confusion. Satan knew who Jesus was. But he's still going to try to tempt him in his humanity and his weakened condition to draw him into sin. And as we can see, Saint Jesus uses the word of God and refuses to uh, bow down uh, to that. Jesus was tempted in the second section there. Jesus was tempted with physical appetites. Okay. God created food. We needed to sustain our bodies intimacy between a man and a woman was God's idea, okay? And it's part of life and it's part of families and it's part of children. When these things are taken out of biblical guidelines, they cause chaos in our lives. I was taking a Zoom class a while ago, several years ago, and um, I wanted to. it was a writing class from COS, and I went online once a week and listened to these instructors, and we read things and, and we wrote and then uh, read each other's stuff and, and talked about it. I don't know how this one fellow got on this, but all of a sudden he talked about the party lifestyle that he used to have. That he would go to Vegas and do terrible things, and, and he just felt so ashamed of himself. And he went on about this for a while. And he said, you know, I was just so stinking selfish. And I, lo- I listened to him and I, and I didn't have the chance to say anything and it was in a classroom setting, but I thought, this guy is living re- with regret about bad choices in his life. And as I said, you go to Vegas, it doesn't stay in Vegas. It follows you all the rest of your life in your conscience. And the only way that can be remedied is through the blood of Calvary. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have a whole book here that is full of biblical truth of how to live and where true satisfaction lies. In Christ, following him, walking in holiness, enjoying our identity in Christ, and having the love of God flow through our lives. And that's what we have and what we can have in Jesus Now we see in this first one here, Jesus' response in verse 4, Man shall not live on bread alone. Here Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Okay, And a powerful principle with this is the fact that physical nourishment will never satisfy your life. Now, if you watched any of the health food ads and diet ads and all the other things, you'd think that if you ate perfectly and exercised perfectly, you'd have a full, rich, and satisfying life. It's a total lie. It does nothing for your spirit, which is the real you inside. Nothing can happen into your spirit until you put your faith in Christ and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. The spirit of God comes in and then he begins to fill us, change us. And I just love Susan Hogue's story about this long journey of growth and change in her life. Those testimonies are wonderful. As we've gone to a, a Rockside on Wednesdays, we're doing a baptismal class and, and hoping to have some baptisms at Easter time. But I give the fellows an opportunity to share their testimony. And they share about what they've been through and the dark roads they've gone down through and how they have wound up at Rockside and what God's doing in their life. They are absolutely wonderful. I love testimonies. And if you have one, tell Lisa Theophanitis. It is such a blessing to hear how God changes a life. What life was like before, what he did. There are dark roads and they're painful to hear, but then you hear the restoration when there's an encounter with Jesus. Jason shared his story this week. It was so powerful, Jason dark road of prescription drugs and a lot of other choices and he winds up in a church one day and is playing the piano and the presence of God came down upon him and he knew he needed help and he got help friends this is the gospel this is what Jesus does and I hope Jason can share that story himself or ask him about it folks this is what life is about Seeing people encounter Jesus and get set free and get pulled out of the tentacles of sin and Satan and darkness and evil and destruction. Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And folks, let's wake up and see the battle in front of us. Not to be afraid, not to charge around and go boo boogoo, boo, but just to walk in truth. Walk in power. It's not by might nor by power, but by thy spirit. People are absolutely being destroyed by every imaginable malady all across the United States. And they need the gospel. And it is the only answer. Look back at your text there, if you would. Jesus was tempted with physical appetites. Okay. And uh, 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 Saint Jesus responds, okay, from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Uh, Man shall not live by bread alone. In the second one there, Jesus was tempted with earthly wealth. See what it says there. Verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. Now, I find that to be a very interesting statement. There's another reference in the Bible where Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. He has a limited amount of authority and influence over this uh, earthly realm. Okay? And now it's not one we need to be afraid of, but it's one you need to be aware of. There's a reference later in Luke... Where it talks about uh, uh, he sent the disciples out, they cast out demons, and there's one reference where it says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He was being cast down from that place of authority, okay? As people were set free, okay, as the demons were cast out, the kingdom of God was advancing, and that kingdom still is advancing through us today, okay? All over the earth because the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. This is the mandate that we have, okay? We are in a spiritual battle. Time is short. Jesus is coming back. Satan is on his gasping last breath to destroy as many people as possible, and that will quicken as we see the last days, end times events coming into place. So he takes him up to this high place, okay? And he says, if you worship me, it will all be yours. Can you imagine Satan asking Jesus, worship me? What a ridiculous, diabolical, horrible thing. Jesus, the King of Kings, the eternal word made flesh, and Satan saying, worship me. What is Jesus' response? It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Look back at your outline there. Jesus was tempted to utilize God's power with presumption. What do I mean by that? Look at this last one. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from there, from there, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will take care. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, I've read this for years and struggled with what exactly does this mean? Okay, Jesus is up on a high place. Satan says, cast yourself down. You know your father's going to take care of you. Okay, and Jesus' response is, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What does that mean? Well, I've written this here. Jesus was tempted to utilize God's power with presumption. What does that mean? I think it's the difference between walking in pride and walking in humility. Okay? I know God's going to take care of me, and I trust his promises. Do I do something stupid and foolish and Crazy and idiotic? Of course not. Would I do something stupid with my family or myself and say, well, God's going to take care of me? No. Okay, I walk in wisdom and try to make good choices, okay, and then trusting God. So Jesus here, and it's under this guise of not testing God, it's like, you know, God, I'm going to do something stupid, but your word says you're going to take care of me, so everything's going to be okay. That's foolish. That's pride. That's stupidity, okay? All kinds of promises here about God's care. But we also have to walk it out in daily life with wisdom and good choices. And that's the opportunity that we have. And so that's the way I see that. Now I want you to turn to the book of James, and I'd like to wrap this up with, I think, some very pertinent, uh, uh, um, really, daily application that I think is so helpful. Uh, in in the book of James. In James chapter 1. Look at you, if you would, at verse 12 there in James chapter 1. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I put there those words, desire, deception, disobedience, and death. This is the slow progression that happens in sin. Okay, if I was looking at a a married couple that were struggling, uh, uh, my experience has shown me that you know what, nobody ever wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I think I'll go have an affair today. Well, that would be fun, let's just go have an affair. No. What happens is a slow, incremental uh, enticement of desire that gets worse and worse and worse until it overtakes a person and they do something really stupid and destroy their marriage and destroy their life. Okay, so what does James say here? Look at that first blank in that third section. A trap always has bait and a hook always has a worm. Look at the words here that uh, 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 James uses. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. If you've ever talked to someone who traps uh, animals or uh, 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 they never lay a trap just wide out in the open, okay, with the jaw trap there and uh, uh, so that an animal can see what's going on. They always cover it up with leaves or, or sticks and then there's some bait there or some scent to draw them, but they don't see the trap the same way with the fish. Would you ever put a hook on a line of monofilament and throw it out into lake from your boat and just have an empty hook laying out there in the water? No. The fish would obviously see, there would be no enticement, there would be nothing to draw them in, okay? And sin works the same way. The trap is never visible, okay? There's always shrouded with enticement, uh, with something that to draw them in, okay? And it's exactly the terms from trapping and from fishing, okay, or hunting and fishing uh, uh, that, that James uses here. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and are enticed. Second blank there in that third section, when sin entraps a person, they often blame someone else. This is as old as the Garden of Eden. Okay? Adam and Eve were clearly told, don't eat this fruit. Satan, speaking through a serpent, invites him to, and interestingly enough, he says, God doesn't want you to have this because then you will be like Him. Having knowledge of good and evil. Rather than forgetting their place in God's created order as as persons created in the image of God, submissive to God, obedient to God, they're like, oh, we wanna be like God. Well, that's what Satan wanted himself too. He wanted to rise up and be like God. Read Isaiah 14 if you haven't seen that, okay? Forgetting that, they're enticed and then they eat and disobey God. And what happened? Well, God pursues them, and his grace and His mercy and His sovereign grace goes after them. And what does Adam say? "The woman you gave me." Guys, don't ever say that. <laughs> Bad mistake. OK? Look in the mirror and say, "I blew it. I made a mistake, okay? Adam blames Eve. The Lord looks at Eve. Eve blames the serpent, okay? Blaming rationalization, uh, somebody else didn't, I didn't do it. All kinds of things wind up in our issues with sin. Okay? Rather than just confessing and saying I blew it, I made a mistake, okay? So when sin entraps a person, they often blame someone else. Sin all third blank sin always involves self-deception. Okay? You don't see the danger of the sin, okay? And you also don't see the sin in your own heart. I don't care how long you've been walking with God, how long you've been sitting in church. Friends, we still think and do sinful things and can be tempted. Now, I'm not going to beat you over the head about that. I want you to enjoy your identity in Christ, the love the Father has for you, to walk in in, in what this book says and who you are as beloved of the Father. But we also have to give you the same warnings and say, you know what? There is just a zillion commands throughout the New Testament that say avoid sin, don't hang around with losers. That's my translation for uh, the scriptures where it says bad company corrupts good morals. Young people, you hang around with bad company, you will be corrupted by their behavior. Okay? Now, we don't walk around self-righteous and holier than thou. Friends, we don't. We're all sinners. We all need grace. Okay? But the biblical command is there and it's a good one. Be careful about the company you keep because you will be influenced by it and you will be sucked into things and make these choices that you will later regret. Sin always involves self-deception. The next blank there, sin's progression is incremental a little bit at a time and that's why you don't see it a little bit at a time and it's also predatory And I intentionally use that word predatory because I have sat with people in my office for 30 years that have wept over choices that have destroyed their lives and their children and their marriage and it's horrible. And all the wish that we could go back and do those things again. But you can't. Now, God forgives sin. God restores. There's an endless supply of grace there. But friends, as we talk with our young people, we talk with our teenagers in this dangerous, turbulent, mixed-up world, tell them about sin. Tell them about choices of wisdom. Not with a bang over the head and whatever. Just say, friends, what it says here is the best way to live. This is how you're going to have peace in your heart. This is how you're going to have satisfaction, knowing Jesus and walking with him and knowing his purpose for your life. We'll wrap up with this. It really, I believe, comes down to an issue of worship. Worship is about placing God at the center of our lives. What you worship is what you will serve. Very important statement. What captures the affections of your heart and what grabs your insides in that way is what you're going to serve. The third one there, with discernment, we must look at the world and our own hearts. Okay, and I want you to put the word biblical community along with that one there because we don't often and always see ourselves accurately. Okay, the times I've had in discipleship groups over the years, okay, I've had people put their finger on my chest and say, Drew, What are you doing? Think about this. And I have done it to other people, okay? Said, wait a minute. Are you sure this is the right decision? Friends, it's a safety net. The mark of a fool is they say, get out of my face, leave me alone. The mark of humility and wisdom is they will receive that and listen to that and grow from it. And the bottom one there are the affections of my heart Captured by Jesus. Turn over to the discussion questions. Worship team, if you could come, please. Speaking of the last days, Jesus said this in Matthew 24 too, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. How can we guard our hearts in this generation that we live in? Folks, guard your hearts. Okay? Your hearts is where the presence of God dwells. And if your heart is being dulled and enticed and drying away by what's going on in this world, you need to stop and put a guard around that, okay? Because wickedness is on the increase, it's everywhere, and your love for Jesus, His word and His people is going to keep you grounded and solid in these turbulent times that we live. What safeguards can we place in our lives to not fall into self-deception or be enticed by temptation, And the last one, do you have someone you can be accountable to who will uh, speak the truth to you in love? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us in these times that we live in to walk in wisdom, to see ourselves accurately, to not fall prey to sin and the temptations and the lures and the enticement of this world. Fill us with your presence. May we walk in victory and joy. The times are dangerous, and yet your spirit is working. Scott Valley is a healing place, and we can be a part of rescuing the perishing and care for the dying. Thank you, Lord in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.